You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Be opening your Bibles. We're in Matthew 27, if you will, please. Matthew 27. I was looking at uh, this passage here this morning, and I was trying to see if our society today could relate to what was going to happen here in some way. I was trying to think of, uh, anybody, everybody here know who the name Charles, Mans- Charles Manson is? Let me see if those who remember that name, Charles Manson. Okay. A lot of our young people may have vaguely heard it in passing, but not remember how wicked that man was and the people that he had murdered and... Uh, the lives that were so viciously taken uh, for his selfish purposes, and um, I would look into it into any great length, but it might be something for you to know about that man. And I thought about, with all the wicked things that he had done, I mean, and he's gone up for, uh, you know, trying to be paroled and so forth, trying to get uh, out a little bit early, and, and I'm telling you, the man does not deserve to get out, uh, needs to, he's still living, right? still alive. He passed on to his place. Well, I guess he did get out then. Uh, But can you imagine? Um, Yeah, they say some guys, when they carry them in, or when they take them in, the only way they're going to get out is to be carried out um, because they're going to be in there for life. But I thought, man, what it would be like if if, I found out that Charles Manson was being not only released, but they were going to place him in my neighborhood Uh, especially while my girls were being raised in our house. And I thought, man, how would a guy like him ever get out of prison? Wouldn't deserve to be out of prison. Needs to stay there and die like he did, apparently. And and then sadly, and I don't don't mean this in a judgmental way at all. I mean, the guy, really, I I wish he could have been brought to Christ, come to know the Lord and, and so forth. But it sounds to me like the guy went to a devil's hell and is there even today. But as wicked a man as he was, and the way those people that were slain by him and those people that he influenced to, uh, to kill and so forth, uh, that man was right where he needed to be. And I don't know what it would take to get a man like him out of prison. But I'm going to share a message with you this morning. What did it take for Barabbas to be set free? Now, you just stay with me on this. We're in Matthew 27. Drop down with me to verse 11. In verse 11, we're going to read down through quite a few verses this morning. Uh, Well, down to 26 anyway. And if you'll follow along and uh, try to be reminded, you know, Judas has now betrayed uh, Christ to the point that he went out and hung himself. And you know how the Bible describes how he actually fell from the hanging and dropped and... and, uh, his bowels burst out and so forth. Quite, uh, quite the death for a man like him. But uh, now we're going to go and look at another man. And I want you to pay particular attention and see how the Lord uh, shows us these events. Now, you ever wonder why, God, why do you show us these? Why do you even talk about Barabbas? Because of the picture that's behind it. So look in verse 11. 
And Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, saying, Art thou the king of the Jews? And Jesus said unto him, Thou sayest. And when he was accused of the chief priests and elders, he answered nothing. Uh, Then said Pilate unto him, Hearest thou not how many things they witness against thee? And he answered him to never a word, insomuch that the governor marveled greatly. Jesus just wouldn't speak up. Now in verse 15, now at that feast, the governor was wont, or there was accustomed to release unto the people a prisoner whom they would. So whoever they wanted to have released, the, the governor would release them for them. And they had uh, then a notable prisoner called Barabbas. Therefore, when they were gathered together, Pilate said unto them, Whom will ye that I release unto you, Barabbas or Jesus, which is called Christ? Now, he thought this was going to be an easy thing. He thought he'd had the wisdom of Solomon here. Um, and <clears throat> Surely they're going to choose the right guy and let Jesus go. Verse 18 tells you why. For he knew that for envy they had delivered him. So when he was set down on the judgment seat, his wife sent unto him, saying, Have thou nothing to do with that just man? For I have suffered many things this day in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitude that they should ask Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor answered and said unto them, Whither of the twain will ye that I release unto you? They said, Barabbas. Pilate saith unto them, you know, I can see him kind of half waves with his hands out. What shall I do then with Jesus, which is called Christ? They all say unto him, let him be crucified. And the governor said, why? What evil hath he done? It's not making any sense to him. Uh, But they cried out the more saying, let him be crucified. When Pilate saw that he could prevail nothing, but that rather a tumult was made, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. See ye to it. Uh, then answered all the people and said, and boy, listen to this one, His blood be on us and on our children. Wow, what a statement. Verse 26. Then released he Barabbas unto them, and when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Well, Barabbas, a very notable prisoner, somebody that was obvious that everybody in that area was familiar with. I don't know if he was a Charles Manson, so to speak, but he was definitely somebody that everybody knew that that man was exactly where he belonged, and he he probably should die in the place where he's at. But God shows us a very different story here this morning, and I hope we can gather the real significance of it as we work our way through the message this morning. Let's bow together in prayer and let's pray. God, I thank you again, Lord, for letting us be here in your house this morning. First of all, I need your uh, blessing and help. God, I could use your anointing today. I don't want to stand here in my flesh and try to preach the Word of God. So may your Holy Spirit minister through me and into the hearts of everyone here this morning. May our hearts be bare before God. Uh, Let us not hold anything up that would allow or prevent God, from being able to do a great work in our hearts this morning. So please bless your word. I'm going to thank you for it. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Well, first of all, 
really, just who was this Barabbas? And uh, maybe it doesn't mean that much to you when you stop and think, okay, so they released a guy. But who was this man? Uh, Barabbas is mentioned by name only in each of the four different Gospels. They all mention him. The Bible mentions that he was a notable, a notorious prisoner who had been thrown in prison by the Romans for robbery. That's what John tells us anyway in chapter 18 and verse 40, that he was in there for robbery and he was also in there for insurrection and murder. I think we all understand murder, but maybe the word insurrection may not make a whole lot of sense to everybody. But uh, if somebody's guilty of insurrection, it's defined as a violent uprising against a governmental authority. So it was obvious at some point uh, he was upset with Rome, wanted uh, out from under their domination or whatever, and had an uprising and people were killed as a result. More than likely what happened, Barabbas led a group of disgruntled Jews possibly against the Roman domination of the Jews. Probably Romans were killed in the insurrection. And more than likely to fund his revolution, he robbed whoever he could just to get his needs met. He was a guy that needed to be off the streets. This is not uh, a good guy. He really needed to be taken off the streets. He was a very strong, self-willed, self-made man, if I can put it that way. And he was a bad boy, um, uh, by everybody's estimation. Maybe the Jews may have appreciated him maybe standing up against the Romans but largely, this was not a man that you would want to be your next-door neighbor and to have him released and brought into your neighborhood. It would not be a safe place to be. So, undoubtedly, Barabbas had a death sentence on him. He knew it was coming. Uh, they, they, uh, you've maybe heard the statement about guys that have a death sentence on them. They see him coming down the hall of the prison, and they'll say things like, you know, dead man walking. And everybody knew he was a dead man walking. He was going to live and die in that prison if, if maybe the Roman soldiers did not take him and execute him at some point. So he had this death sentence on him. And uh, again, he knew it was coming. And every day he lived, uh, day after day, behind bars in some of the most depressing conditions that a man could live in, at least during uh, that time frame. The Romans knew how to make you suffer. They weren't going to let you live in uh, nice quarters. And if you'll study out any of the uh, Roman prisons and, and look at it, they were not nice places to be. And this man was just waiting to die. He knew what he had done, and he realized the, the actions that, that had, uh, he had taken to bring him to the place where he was. And he's just waiting behind the bars for that day to come, for them to come and take him away and execute him. But Somebody else is on trial on this very day. And as we know, it's Jesus, and he is being brought before Pilate. And on this very day, one of these two men are going to uh, be set free, and the other one is going to go to the cross. And Barabbas has many reasons why he ought to have been the man that goes to the cross and suffered a horrible Roman death on a cross. I mean, uh, death on the cross, guys, was a horrible way to die. Uh, many, many people lasting for days and the agony, uh, the agony of the, the beating and the scourging that they would uh, do right before you were crucified and, and uh, the body trying to heal itself and you trying to pull yourself up, you would pull yourself up to exhale and then drop yourself. 
uh, to bring in another breath. Sounds it would like it would be just the opposite. But Barabbas was definitely the man that deserved this, not the one who stepped in and took his place. So what did it really take to get a man like Barabbas behind bars where he needed to be, deserving of the death that was surely coming, what did it take to get a man like Barabbas to be set free? We'll look at a couple of thoughts here this morning. First of all, if he's going to be set free, um, Pilate's wishes have to be overridden. So first of all, it took overriding Pilate's wishes. Pilate didn't want to, uh, uh, as we worked our way on down through the story, did not want to crucify Christ. And what we need to know about Pilate is that Pilate was not a good man either. You look his name up uh, in any kind of a, you know, whatever you want to study or look up on, online, Pilate was not a good man. He was, uh, he was no Jewish sympathizer. He had no problem killing the Jews. Uh, he would execute men without a trial. I mean, for really no real reason whatsoever. Uh, for instance, there were some men that were heading out into a garden, and they had taken some garden tools with them to work in the garden. And Pilate, his men, found out that they were out there working in a garden with garden tools. And Pilate just stated, well, those are, those are actually weapons is what those are. And they took and executed those men. Pilate was not a, he was not a good leader either. Uh, look, hold your place here in Matthew and go over to Luke chapter 13 and notice what Luke says about this man. Luke chapter 13 and notice the disregard that he had for the Jews. Everybody hated this guy. Uh, so Luke 13 and verse 1, the Bible said, There were present at that season some that told him of the Galileans, whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. Flip back over there now uh, to Matthew so you've got an idea. Here comes these Jews, and they're trying to offer some kind of sacrifices. I'm not real familiar with what exactly it might have been taking place there, but it's clear they were offering some kind of sacrifice. And then here comes Pilate, has them killed, murdered, takes their own blood and sprinkles it over their own sacrifice. So you've got an idea what kind of a man Pilate is, great governor to be underneath his leadership, right? So this Pilate is now, here's Jesus in front of him, and uh, Pilate asked Jesus repeatedly to answer the accusations that were being made about him. But we read that Jesus just kept his silence. Now, here's what Pilate was not familiar with. He was not familiar with a man who was standing ready to be tried and probably executed because of it's Pilate after all. And he's used to these guys begging and pleading and falling on their faces and, oh, please have mercy upon me and we're sorry and we'll never do this again. And part of what they said is right, but most of it's not true, honestly. He's used to all of those kind of things, but here's this Jesus sitting very calmly, even a little look of peace across his face, and he's asking him, is what these guys saying about you true or not? And Jesus just wouldn't say anything. And Pilate is going bonkers, if bonkers was alive back then. <laughs> He's going bonkers. And also, only once a year at the Feast of the Passover, Pilate would release a prisoner of their choosing. Now, why in the world would he do that? Uh, you Jews, you can pick anybody you want on this one day of the year, this Feast of the Passover. 
and you can choose one man to be released, uh, whoever you want. Why would he do that? He's a wicked uh, ruler. Why would he do so to the Jews? Well, uh, this was more of an appeasement to the Jews. And as ruthless as Pilate was, he knew that every now and then you had to throw some meat to the dogs, kind of keep them at bay. So they wouldn't be so angry and upset with him and maybe show him a little, you know, slack about the way he was leading them and to keep them from rioting against his wicked leadership. I mean, honestly, nobody liked Pilate, first of all, a Roman leader, and then to be as wicked as him. So Pilate was well aware why the Jews were trying to bring Jesus to him. It was very obvious to him. He knew why they were bringing this Christ up before him. And he was convinced in his heart that if it came down to releasing either a wicked, ruthless man like Barabbas or a real non-threatening man like Jesus, to him it was going to be obvious. He knew it was all about jealousy. And he knew that the only reason they wanted to bring Jesus maybe was just to really, really, really embarrass him, you know, maybe even scourge him a little bit and then let him go. So, I mean, release Jesus or this wicked robber and murderer insurrectionist it was obvious to him well they're going to release Jesus they're not going to release Barabbas okay so surely Christ will be let go and also not only that guys when Pilate sat down at the judgment seat to begin all the judgment about Jesus all of a sudden his wife comes running up to him and says Pyle I'm sure he had a nickname by his wife uh Pyle, you've you got to know something. I, I've had a horrible dream. That was daytime, so maybe she's just slept in really, really late. And she said, uh, you know, look, well, you can look with me in verse 19. I think she says it best. Look there. Verse 19, when he was set down on the judgment seat, his wife sent unto him, saying, Have thou nothing to do, listen to her words, with that just man? For I have suffered many things this day in a dream because of him. Now, what do you think happened with her? Nobody knows exactly. We, we can't climb into that woman's mind and really know and understand what that dream was like. But I do know this, that by the time the dream was over, she knew in her heart that uh, Jesus Christ was just, he was pure, he was holy. And, and the Bible even said that she would had suffered a lot of things because of Jesus. And I think the woman came under conviction. I think she knew and understood when in her dream. She could even sense how filthy she was and the suffering of conviction that was upon her. And she realized how pure Jesus Christ really was. You ever have a dream that was just so very real? Man, you wake up and your heart is just pounding. I told my wife just the other day, last week I'd had a dream and, and I thought she had rolled down this mountain and man... She, I got down to the bottom of that mountain. I was chasing her, trying to get her to stop. And I got there, and she was laid out on the other side of a road. A man was standing there real solemnly looking like. And I'm like, did you call 911 yet? I said that to him, you know. And he slowly pulled his phone out. And I'm like, and there, Lady Vet right there. And, man, I woke up, and my heart, honestly, it was just pounding so hard. I got up before her and couldn't wait for her to get up and talk to her. Yep, she laid there and she was under conviction. I believe she felt guilty about her own sin. And she felt horrible about how good Jesus Christ really was. 
And you ever have your wife come running up to you? I mean, it's not one of those, honey, go get some, you know, milk and bread at the store looks. You tell something's not right. One of the kids have gotten hurt really bad or, you know, they've called you on the phone and I can tell when my wife calls and something was not good. I could tell one of the girls need to be taken to the hospital. I can tell that voice on her. And here comes his wife sitting down beside him. And very seriously, she says, don't have anything to do with this man. He's just, he's holy. I believe she meant with all of her heart, he's pure. And I've suffered so many things because of this man. Don't have anything to do with this guy. Send him back over to the Jews. Let them do whatever they want. But don't you uh, execute some kind of a sentence on him. Well, Well, by now, Pilate starts to get a little bit fidgety. And he tried to get the Jews to tell him. I mean, he would look over to the Jews and say, guys, can you just tell me what he's done wrong? And all they would do is just scream out, just just crucify him. What evil has this guy done? Just kill the guy, will you? We know he's done bad enough things. And that's just the way they were. And when Pilate saw that he could not convince them otherwise, you remember what he did? The Bible said he went over and washed his hands and declared himself to be innocent of the blood of that just person. Now, how many knows and understands that you can go and wash your hands all you want, but it's not going to do anything to clean your heart out? Amen? I mean, his hands might have been clean before the Jews, but his heart was still filthy before God. And let me just say this as well, guys. Water has never washed away anybody's sins. Water has never done anything to take care of a heart problem. I don't care if it was washing your hands over a pan of water. doesn't matter if you've been dipped in a, in a baptistry or had somebody sprinkle water over you. Water has never done anything to clean a person's soul. It takes blood to cleanse somebody's sins. And that's what was about to happen in our story here in just a few messages here on down the road. But he washed his hands He's like, I'm not going to have anything to do with this. I heard my wife, and I saw how genuine and sincere she was. And besides that, I can sense there's something about this that's so unfamiliar to me. <clears throat> and so uh, he washed his hands, and he, he scourged Jesus. You guys remember what the scourging was all about. There was a man, he's called the lictor. He was the Roman, trained Roman soldier that would beat the back of a man. And I'll go into it maybe a little bit more next week. But it was not a pretty sight when they got done. You could barely see a piece of flesh left on a man's back when the lictor was done with you. And he had Jesus scourged and then delivered him and said, all right, go on, do with him what you guys want to do with him, but I'm clean from the, you know, the blood of this man. Well, Pilate, no, you were not. It needs to go a lot deeper than your hands. It needs to get into your heart. So what did it take for Barabbas to be released? Well, at first it took... Uh, you know, Pilate to at least to be convinced of it and for his will to be finally overridden. And it was. And finally he delivers him and he's out of Pilate's hands and Pilate goes running back to his little house, sits in his little corner and thinks, man, I'll be glad when this is all taken care of and out of the way. What else did it take for Pilate to be released? Number two, it took the Jews hating the innocence of Jesus more than the guilt of Barabbas. I don't think it was the fact that they could have cared less about uh, what Barabbas did. I think they hated what Barabbas had done. I think they thought he was a wicked man up until this day. 
but it took them hating the innocence of Jesus Christ more than the guilt of Barabbas for Barabbas to be released. They were so envious of Jesus that they were going to do whatever it takes to get rid of this guy. We don't care what it takes. We'll overlook the wickedness of other men so we can take this guy down. You ever see that happen in society? Somebody gets to hating somebody or a person so bad, they'll overlook numbers of sins in other people's lives just to make sure this person is taken down. And that's the way this was. They could not wait for Jesus to be killed and out of sight. So about the time that Pilate would almost get those commoners who are out there watching to say, you know what, maybe we really ought to release Jesus instead of, uh, of this uh, Barabbas guy. Well, the chief priest then, they would turn right around to the crowd and they'd say, no guys, we can't have this wicked guy here. He, he goes against everything we stand for. And eventually all the people would be, oh, oh yeah, that's right. They'd all turn against Jesus again. Anything to keep Jesus condemned. And when Pilate told the Jews that he was innocent of the blood of that just man, the Jews cried out a very condemning statement there in verse 25. Look with me. And I want you to see this again in verse 25. Let's read 24 and bring it down into 25, okay? 24, then Pilate saw that he could uh, prevail nothing, but rather a tumult was made. Uh, He took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying... I am innocent of the blood of this just person. See ye to it. I'm going to throw that blood right onto you guys, he says, in essence. Now listen to what they say. Then answered all the people and said, His blood be on us and on our children. Now, can everybody look up here for just a minute? You let his blood be on us. You, you don't worry about that. Yeah, we'll take the blood away from you, this blood of this, this uh, guilty man. Put it on us and on our children. And oh my goodness, did, did they ever in some ways prophesy their own destruction. Uh, and I've tried to get you to remember this uh, date in history, but how many of you are familiar with what 70 AD represents in history? How many of you remember that? I'm not going to call on you, but I, I, I want you to remember this date. Titus came in and wiped out hundreds of thousands of Jews. I mean, it was a wicked time. It was the time where uh, you couldn't find any trees around for miles around because they had cut down all the trees and had sharpened those trees so that they could impale the Jews on uh, on those uh, posts. And all around the city, you could see, in some cases, their bodies burning and those Jews left on the inside of the city could look out and see uh, some of their own people out there and the thousands of them that had been slain. And what these Jews could have never known was the destruction that was going to soon come to these people. I believe in some ways as a result of their own, could I even call it a type of prophecy, let his blood be on us and on our children. And it certainly was. And it was a sad, sad day in the history of uh, God's people to see that blood shed upon them. Let me just say thirdly this morning as I want to work my way on down toward the end of this message by the time we get to where we're at right now and at the point where I'm at we've tried to describe for you that um, there were a a couple of things that were necessary to take place for Barabbas to be released number one it took overriding Pilate's wishes and number two it took the Jews hating the innocence of Jesus more than the wickedness of, uh, of Barabbas and with that in mind 
Jesus was delivered to be crucified and Barabbas was sent free. Have you ever just let your mind run a little bit and stop and think about what would that have been like if you could have been in the background? Let's just say, and God kind of has in a, a little way has brought us into the picture a little bit. So let's just broaden our imagination a little bit. I'm not trying to add to the word of God, but you know how life plays out when things like this happen. So let's, let's try to imagine this, if you will. The innocent went to the cross instead of the guilty one. Can you just imagine this Roman soldier coming up? He's got the, you know, that big ring of keys, and Barabbas looks up, and he's thinking, oh, man, this is my day, isn't it? Uh, they're coming to take me. This is, this is my execution day. And as, uh, as the soldier may be turning the key and rattling against those bars that he was uh, locked in, <clears throat> He's like, this is my day, isn't it? They're like, oh yeah, this is your day, all right. You're being set free. He's like, yeah, I, I'm, I'm being set free, all right. You're, you're taking me, and you're going to execute me today. And he's like, no, this day you're being set free. And I can just see Barabbas, what he must have looked like, and, and, and what, what um, you know, the expression on his face and the feeling of his heart when he realizes, you're really releasing me. Uh, imagine him looking up at the Roman soldiers and Barabbas saying something like, but why am I being released? I mean, I, I'm not complaining, but why are you releasing me? Why am I not the one being slain? Like I've been being told all the days I've been in this prison. <clears throat> I can maybe hear the soldiers saying back to him, well, the people chose you. The people wanted you to be released. And, and Barabbas, well, uh, if I'm being released then, what charges do you still have against me? I mean, uh, you've reminded me again and again that uh, I'm a murderer and I'm a revolter and I'm a robber. I mean, how will the judges and the authorities that be view me once I'm on the outside of these bars? You know, is everybody going to be looking at me like I'm still that wicked murderer? What am I going to be looked upon as? And I could hear the soldiers saying something like this. Those who are released at, the, at this feast of the Passover have their sentences pardoned or forgiven by the Roman government. And as far as Rome is concerned, it's going to be as if you didn't even commit a crime. I can just hear Barabbas. Unbelievable. And again, can you just tell me one more time, why is this happening? And the soldier is saying, we've already told you. It's because somebody else is being condemned instead of you. Can you imagine being Barabbas? And him standing there saying, and he kind of staggering half in un disbelief out as he staggers out of the cell, saying, I just don't get this. You know, half smiling, half scared. Is this, can this really be real? And the soldier is saying, you know what, buddy, we don't get it either. Because this Jesus had every opportunity to get out of this. But he wouldn't even open his mouth to defend himself. If we didn't know better, it was almost like he wanted to take your place. And if you haven't made the connection by now, Barabbas is you and me. We were Barabbas. We were the ones held in bondage. We were the guilty and the condemned ones. We were the ones that were guilty of breaking the whole law. We were the robbers and the insurrectionists 
And guys, we were the murderers. And I, somebody might still say, well, I've never murdered anybody or robbed any bank whatsoever. But like I said in Sunday school, you know if I'm guilty of one point of the law, I'm guilty of the whole law. And we were the guilty ones. And we were the ones that <clears throat> deserved to be executed. We were the one behind the bars of our own sin. We were the ones with the death sentence upon us. And we were the ones who Jesus took the place of. And it wasn't as if he wanted to take our place. There's no doubt about it. His desire was to die in our place so that I could go free. I don't get it either. I don't understand why somebody like me or someone like us condemned to death and uh, full of the wickedness and the sin of the world would have somebody so innocent like Pilate's wife knew and understood would come and want to take my place and say, let me take your execution and I want to let you go free as innocently as I was when I came down from heaven and as I enter even to the cross. So what kind of record, guys, are you listening? What kind of record do I now have of my past sins, even here yet today? And I would gladly say I don't have a record anymore. There is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. When I have been made free in the Lord, we are free indeed. I don't have a sin record against me anymore because of what Christ has done for me. And again, what did it take for Barabbas to be set free? It took Jesus, the Son of God, to take our place. Galatians 1.4 Who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil world. I just say praise God. When I look at where I was and where I'm at today and I ask myself, how did I get to be out from behind the prison bars of my sin and to be set free in the liberty that I have today and I stop and realize it's because somebody else went to the cross that I deserve to go to somebody else was willing to take the suffering for what I should have suffered for it was an innocent man who took all the wrong that any of us have ever done here today and said father I'll go to the cross and I'll take their payment upon me and I want to let them go free. If they'll just receive me as Savior. If they'll let me come in and wash their sin away. If they'll just let me go a lot deeper than the washing of hands by the water. And let me get into where the real problem is. Into the depths of their heart. And let me wash their sin clean. I'd love to take their place and make them a brother to me. And a child of the Father. And I don't know about you, but... When I work on a sermon like this, every now and then you just got to stop and bow your head and say, Jesus, thank you. <laughs> I didn't deserve that. Why, are, why do I get to be the one to go free? Only because of the love of Jesus Christ. And how long has it been since you maybe just knelt down before a holy God and said, you know what, Lord, I didn't deserve to be made free. But I want to come to you and just say, thank you, God, for being willing to take Barabbas's place. I am Barabbas. We are Barabbas. And while we were the guilty, wicked one, Jesus still loved us enough to give us the liberty in the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know if you're here this morning without the Lord or if you're still here questioning whether or not you are saved or not. But I'm here to tell you, friend, if I was you, I would not stay behind the prison bars when you've got somebody like the Lord standing there saying, I'll take your place. Uh, I, I, my blood can wash your sin away. 
I can take every wrong you've ever done and wash it clean in the blood of the Lamb. You can become a child of the Heavenly Father, and I can become your Savior if you'll just trust me today. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.